You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. Dalton here with Connor Lucas and Isaiah. Another week, another pod. Isaiah, welcome back. Big week for your Wolves. A lot of news, both good and bad, but a big week nonetheless. How are you feeling as a Wolves fan? Uh, you know, lottery day was stressful. Um, I chose to do the thing that I do with the draft, which is not watch. Uh, because, again, you can just find out immediately when the Wolves don't get the pick. I got like seven texts from people like, Wolves didn't get it, Wolves didn't get it, Wolves didn't get it. And that's why I chose not to watch because I couldn't go through that painful, emotional, dragged out process where they decide that the Wolves aren't valuable enough to the NBA to get a rigged pick. And I've been thinking about it. And I actually think that David Stern would have given us the pick. Like, I'm really confident that old school David Stern, who really, really rigged it up good, may he rest in peace, would have had a behind the door door deal with A-Rod, under-the-table deal with A-Rod, and I think the Wolves would have figured out how to get that three-pick. But you know what? Didn't happen for us. Moving on. We're all right. Wolves are all right. We're going to make a move this summer. It's going to be something interesting, I think. Something interesting is going to happen this summer. And we do have Balmero coming, probably, over from the EuroLeague, which is kind of like getting a draft pick this year, right? You can justify that, Dalton. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. A little bit of foreign flavor to the squad coming in. And honestly, talking about losing the pick, if you were one of the people that are legitimately crushed that they lost the pick, you kind of need to reevaluate your blind optimism because you should have been operating under the assumption that they're going to lose the pick anyway. They were way behind the eight ball. Was it 27% chance that they're going to keep it? So if you're actually crushed that they lost it, you need a little bit of a reality check. But I will say... Those are the purest forms of wolf, Wolves fans. The blind optimism is Wolves fandom. Because if you don't have that, you don't have much else at this point. Fair enough. But I was with you. I, I was with you where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pretend we're not going to get this. And I'm not going to, then I won't be crushed. I think that was the that was the right approach. I think you prepped us well for that, Dalton. Just follow the data. Don't follow your heart. And... You'll live a sad, boring, but full of realism life. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop. But I mean, the good news, we had, we had some bad news, but the good news, Ant and Nas invited to the USA Select Camp to practice against the Olympians. So that's exciting. A couple of young studs for the pups getting to practice against Kevin Durant, all the big stars that are on the USA Olympic team. How are you feeling about that, Ike? So I'm kind of split. I, I was going to try to get your guys' feel for this because I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it. First of all, it is awesome that they both got selected. I think it's a testament to both of their willingness to work, their work ethics in general. I think Nas Reed has shown that he's been a guy who can take big steps. He took a huge step from last year to this past year. Uh, and I think he, you know, the way that he got his body in shape, added to his game, added defensively, you know, he's insane around the rim. He used to be just a three-point shooter kind of when he was in college. He was just trying to light it up. He really developed his inside game this past year. I think it's just a testament to his work ethic. And so that's awesome to see. I'm super glad that he got selected. Ant, the same way. This is what we want to see, right? Like, he didn't get picked for that rookie of the year. Bogus. 
whatever over that too. You know, we're not going to get bogged down on that. And it's the chip we want, right? Like he's willing to, he's going to try to work as hard as he can to prove probably hopefully for the rest of his career that he's better than LaMelo ball. Like, I think that ants that type of guy where he's like, this was the dude that I went up against. I got picked above him. He won rookie of the year. I'm going to win MVP before him. Like, I just think that's how he operates. I'm going to win a championship before him. And he's going to put in that work. So I think on that front, awesome to see this. The one, And then the one thing that I'm worried about, what are these USA practices like? Are they serious? That's the only thing that I'm worried. Like, if it's just kind of like, if they're just seeing a bunch of guys kind of bullshit and hanging out, like playing five on five, like, is that necessarily great? Or could they be getting better work elsewhere? I don't know how you guys feel about that part. Lou, you're a guy who always enforces discipline on any team you're on. How would, do you think NBA stars that are on the Olympic roster are disciplined? Do you think their practices are competitive? I mean, I think they're competitive to some extent. I mean, I really don't see these guys going as hard as they possibly can because just based on the run that the, the USA has had in the Olympics in the past, like they just dominate these teams and they, every once in a while they'll run into a, like a decent team. So that, like, I think they're going to get to a spot where they're like, yeah, we're feeling pretty good. We're, we're gelling now, but they're not going to be like running killers every practice or like grinding in the weight room or, or stuff like that. I don't think so. I think it's kind of like show up, do your, do what you want to do and, and go win a medal is essentially how I, I imagine it. But again, I've never been really exposed to it. So I it could be total BS coming out of my mouth. So so I agree with a, a little bit of your concern, Isaiah. I'm just looking at the roster here, running on the roster. And we've got a lot of guys who are really offensively gifted, but are kind of sieves on defense. Other than, so we have Draymond Green and Drew Holiday, who are both defensive studs. But then you've got KD, okay, whatever. Lillard, he is all offense. Booker, mostly offense. Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Kevin Love, Chris Middleton, Jeremy Grant. Those guys are all offense all the time. So for a guy like Ant, he's going to go in there and maybe he's going to learn a couple tricks on the, the offensive side of the ball. But I think a big part of his development going forward is can he use his athleticism on the defensive end and turn into a decent two-way player? So I, I don't think he's going to develop a ton defensively at this camp. But, you know, it, it's good for him, I think, to just see how these guys work. And when you watch some of the old uh, clips from, like, the – 2008 2012 olympic squads who are like kobe lebron the crazy guys they they uh they go pretty hard in like the one-on-one drills because it's sort of a pride thing of like who's the best at the camp and who's the best one-on-one scorer so there there might be a little bit of that of like stick it to them on the offensive end and then just try to shut a few guys down on defense to show that you're you belong It's, it's a lot of one-way guys there, and I think Ant is a little bit of a one-way guy. So we just hope, hope it maximizes his offense. And, of course, there's always that value of just, like, rubbing shoulders with the best guys because you're going to pick up little things about, like you said, like offensively you're going to pick up little things that they do, moves that they have, they might be willing to teach, like, and then you're just going to learn from seeing how they operate on the court, how they compete, how they communicate, because that's going to be probably a big thing you know, when you're getting a group of all-stars together, you're going to learn how these guys are really good because they talk really well. And Kat's always talked about that, has 
a good piece of his development defensively is like being willing to talk on the floor. And like LeBron is a, he's a beast at that. Like he's one of the best communicators in the NBA in the middle of a play. And so hopefully that's another thing that they can pick up on because that's going to have to happen in these games as they're, as these guys are getting to know each other on this team, communication is going to be important. So hopefully the, the younger guys also pick up on that. Remember when the pups played the warriors, I think it was the first time they played them this year and ant and Draymond went back and forth. What, what up? Guest appearance. A wild Abe. (laughs) (laughs) What's that, boys? Does he have any hot wolves takes that he wants to get on the record? If it's not ants coming out party, I don't know what it is, boys. Like that's, that's just a fact. Like the man is just going to show up. He's going to freaking dunk on people and that's game over. Like that's ant in a nutshell, dunking on cats. And that was Wolves president of basketball operations, Gerson Rosas. Thanks for joining the show. What were you saying, Dalt? Yeah, I remember when Draymond and Ant went back and forth in the first Wolves-Warriors game of the season. I think Draymond was yelling, yup, yup, every time Ant was taking threes. And then Ant drilled a couple and was going, yup, yup, right back at him. I'd love a little Draymond-Ant love fest at the USA basketball camp. Imagine if Ant had a little bit of the, the Draymond little, nasty little chip, to him. A little extra chip, yeah. That'd be dangerous. Got Double two chip. shoulders, Cattle two chips. Cooked. Simple math. Uh, uh, uh. But I should say, I was talking earlier like about Ant's defensive development. If you're an elite offensive player in the league, we've shown offense is more important. So... I don't want to come across as like, oh, I'm worried about his defensive development. Like if Ant becomes a top 10 scorer in the league, that's almost a best case scenario for the Wolves. So this is, this is a great opportunity for him. I don't know, you guys. I think the NBA is changing. Did you watch that Clippers-Suns uh, game last night? Just a defensive battle. Nobody watches the playoffs. Didn't you listen? It wasn't who could get a bucket. Who could get a stop? Who could get a stop? That's what it's all about in the playoffs. You got to get a stop. Team defense. That's what Josh Okogie's for. <laughs> yeah, he would have fit in in that game. Everybody was laying bricks. It was beautiful. It had mid-2000s NBA written all over it. So, of course, the Wolves season is over. The Sixers season ends. So everyone's talking Ben Simmons' Wolves trades, as we have for the last 18 years. But I think there are a lot of interesting... Potential trades, not necessarily Ben Simmons trades, but it seems like there are going to be some trades made by the Wolves this offseason. So, Ike, do you have any guys you have targeted, anyone you have your eyes on as potential trade candidates for the Wolves? Um, so the only thing that I – like, I have a few things. The first one is that uh, the city that I just came from, another city that I love, Portland, Oregon, is burning. The Blazers are in ashes, I think. They're ablaze. Uh, I think they're going to be kind of a team that may be blown up or semi-blown up. And I think the Wolves could benefit uh, in one of three ways. First one is the one that we'll just go what I want the most to what I want the least. So we'll start with the one I want the most. It's Damian Lillard. Is it possible? It depends. I think it depends on how everything else shakes out. If he feels like it's a total rebuild over there, because uh, it, it's probably going to be the end for CJ. They're probably going to be maybe getting rid of Norman Powell, maybe getting rid of uh, the big man over there. Nurkic. Both the big men's Nurkic and Collins might both be gone. 
uh roco you know he's a he's a drifter so if, if it feels and you got mellow who bless his heart has been getting buckets but it seems like that has a team that is ripe for a rebuild just fired their coach uh Terry Stotts had been there for what nine years, something like that, and made the playoffs a bunch of times. Never made it past the Western Conference Finals. So, if Damian feels like this is like a full rebuild, I think he might be willing to go somewhere. And I genuinely believe that him and Cat would be such an unstoppable duo. I think they would be absolutely nasty together. I think that Dame's kind of downhill game works a little bit better with Cat in the pick and roll. I think he'd probably be more comfortable with that than he is with D'Lo, who has that more probing style, uh, touch and go type offense. Um, I think that Cat would would benefit from Dame getting so downhill because he likes to do that screen and fade to get that wide open three point shot. And if Dame's getting downhill off a screen, he's detracting two or maybe three defenders. So Cat's going to be wide open for that uh, top of the key jumper that he loves so much. So that's. Number one on my dream list. Obviously, if it's a realistic thing, it might not be. Like, if he's up for a trade, there's a lot of big big market teams that would really, really want Damian Lillard for good reason. I mean, he's amazing. You know, the Knicks, the Nuggets, Sixers, Spurs, Lakers, everybody's been rumored, basically. Um, it's probably going to be, what do you think? I, I would say probably three firsts would have to be involved. I think I would be willing to do that. If we could do three future firsts plus um, Culver and D'Lo. Yeah, probably. Some would you do that? I, I mean, there. yeah, I, I would do that for Dame. You know, I, I do a lot like Absolutely. I would do what the I would do what the Rockets wanted to do for Jimmy Butler at the time when it was that four future first round picks uh, spaced out by a year. I would do that for Damian Lillard. I think that you, we've proven that no a billion first round picks is just not going to get you that far in the playoffs. I think the Suns have been a really good example of you need a good veteran leader, especially in the point guard position. I mean, Chris Paul has transformed that team. He's taken them to the next level. They're likely going to the finals and they have a really good shot to win it. And really all they did was add Chris Paul and he unlocked a lot of guys game. I think Damian Lillard has that possibility for this team. I think you should give up whatever you could to get him. So that's my first one on my list. If I could, I think that one would be really exciting for another reason, too, that we don't always see the Minnesota sports teams do is just like, and I'm looking at you, twins, just that's all in, right? Like, we, there's no yeah. backup plan, which I'm okay with because I feel like the team is committing to, this is it, Gerson Rosas, this is your team right now, and I'm making the stand that this is how we're going to win, and I think this is how we can win, and if we get it done, we don't need 20, you know, picks in the early to mid and, and God willing, early to mid 20s and God willing the 30s to to like make an impact for us. So let's give up those picks. Let's get the guy in here that we think we can win with, with our core Dame. Maybe there's an, I, maybe there's another couple pieces out there. Like you said, another veteran presence in the power forward position or another thing. Um, there to really push us over the edge but I would love to see the team just commit no backup plan let's go for it let's try to become winners right now because it feels like the window and I think we're always looking at the win. the window is never just stagnant right it's either opening or it's closing and it's starting to get a little scary I think for Timbo's fans at times that like when is Cat going to get sick of it right and once he's gone now it's like what do we do so I think that that move would be so exciting, and I I would agree. Let's let's do what we can to get him, and maybe if four first round picks aren't going to do it, 
if we don't have an option, if they're not willing to move him, whatever, but let's do everything we can to give it a shot. You think if we did make a move like that, would Cap be more upset with sending D'Lo away, his buddy, or winning a title? Loyalties coming into question here. If Cat's worried about his buddies being on the team over winning, I'm ready. That then we gotta yeah. we gotta shop him. You know what I mean? Like, you, if but to Connor's point about going all in, all in. If you trade D'Lo for anybody, I don't care if it's Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard, whoever. If you don't win in that first season, if you again somehow miss the playoffs, Cat is absolutely requesting out. Yeah. So you're you have to win ASAP because. You just trade away my best friend and we're still not good. This franchise sucks. This franchise is absolutely lost. No direction. I want out. So I, I think you really, you're pouring gas on a fire of logs and you're just hoping it doesn't spark and you don't, the thing doesn't go up in flames. Yeah. I, I'm still hundred percent in to go all in, but I, I think you're really, you need to be sure that this is going to work out. If you're going to say we brought in D'Lo for you cat and now you're like, ah, psych, we're bringing in someone else. Yeah, I feel yeah. like, and that's why it's kind of not realistic because I think they do still probably want to see this, one, see these two through, and just be like, all right, this is the bet we made. The bet we made is D'Lo, not anybody else. So I think him him being a part of the picture is probably the most realistic scenario for the Wolves. Um, and you and we've seen it. We they haven't played together enough, whatever. But I just personally, Connor, I know you probably feel the same way about him. Is he's just probably not it. Yeah, that's because he just doesn't play defense. And that's maybe all. why like he, he hides. And that's maybe why I'm saying, you know, like we got to make the move. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe they did make the move, like you say, Isaiah. Maybe D'Angelo was their move. And now it's just we're trying to build. But in my opinion, then the window's tight. We have two years. If you can't win in two years, Gerston's gone. Coach is gone. Like, what do we, what do we do? Start we can't over build this thing for five years. We're ready to we're ready to try to become a playoff contender, a playoff team right now. I, I think a lot of people think, and I, I think as a podcast, we're probably lined up with this. The coach seems like a good fit. I think we all like the way they played down the stretch. Um, so it's all about getting the right guys in here. And and for my money, no doubt I'd take Dame every day over D'Angelo. And that's not really the discussion, right? It's the value of those picks plus D'Angelo. For me, it's worth it's it's worth it. Instead of rolling the dice and grabbing a couple more Johnny Flynn's along the way, I I'd rather take Dame Lil. But and like you're not going to miss the playoffs if you have Dame and Cat. Yeah, right. It just won't happen. You he, Dame won't let you miss the playoffs. Yeah, he's got that dog in him that he's just not going to let that happen. Okay, Ooh. Ooh. different next scenario here with the Blazers still at the ashes. Whatever is maybe this is with D'Lo is the move guy. This would be adding a piece. The piece would be Norman Powell. If he is possible to get um, for the last year of his deal, he's cheap. He's really good offensively. He's a great three and D guy. Prove that he can attack the rim as well. Playmaker. Norman Powell is a sweet guy. That's somebody, if we can go and try to get him, I would 100% try to do that too. Um, I don't know what that would look like. You get Culver, Okogi, Lehman, some picks, something to get Powell. Powell would be a really good guy to fill in if you think D'Lo was the move. Moving on. Boston. Is Boston ready to blow it up? Because if they are, there's two guys that I want on that team. Either Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown. If they're blowing it up and just going to go with Tatum and try to 
rebuild off of Tatum are either of those. I think Marcus Smart is probably a more realistic get. Um, could we go Rubio and a future second for Smart? He's got two years, $13 million on his deal, $13 million a year. I think he'd be a good guy. He's like a Jay Crowder type where he's going to be a, a, an Andre Iguodala type. Like he's got playoff experience. Like he's a, he's a proven leader. He could be an interesting guy to have on this team. A little bit of a bulldog. You need that too defensively. So quickly with Boston, here's a question. Would you be willing to swap Ant for Jalen Brown? Maybe Ant and Rubio? We talked last week about untouchables for the twins. Is Ant untouchable? That's tough. Jalen Brown is really good. He's really good. But I'd say no. I think Ant is still he's got a, a high ceiling. That has ceiling. that has just like classic the guy leaves Minnesota and he becomes the MVP the next season, like or the two seasons after. <laughs> like it's not that he was like bad here like it typically goes, but yeah, that just feels like if that were to happen, he's just gonna be so good. I think if he hadn't had the second half of the year, like post all-star break that he had, I would say yes. But I think that that shift that he had post all-star break was so significant and put him into such a high category that I, I don't think we can do it. Cause I, I you got to look at if he developed that much with a new coach, now he's got a whole off season with them. We really want to see what he can do. I feel like sometimes going back to Lou's point on, you know, being afraid to, I think, too many fans, maybe more so like general managers, are afraid to make the big move because they're afraid somebody's going to blow up and become awesome. And I understand the concern. And like, if you think Cat's going to be the guy, you're not trading him, right? But I don't, I, I, I wish less GMs cared as much about like, oh, what if this guy's great? What if this, it's like, go get the piece that helps you right now or that you think is better than this piece, as opposed to being so concerned about like, the upside. Like, I feel like that happens all the time with Minnesota sports teams. Like we're afraid to move bigger names because it's like, well, what if he becomes an MVP? And I feel like that's almost never happened. David Ortiz. He's the big yeah, one. He's one, one time. One. That's yeah. the one everybody's worried yeah, about. I know, yeah, I know. And I knew you would bring that, that up, but literally so one up. time yeah. in the existence of Minnesota sports, potentially. And maybe Michael Kadire. Very Kodair, true. That's Very true. true. Champ. <laughs> Hall of Famer, some would say. It's just a good, great player, great hitter, but all timer. But yeah, I think there's so much fear of that. And maybe it's more from the sports fan than it is from the office of just being afraid that, like, well, if we trade, and if they think Ant is going to be an MVP, obviously we're keeping him. But if there's, you know, doubt and we think we can get Jalen Brown, he's better in the front office's eyes. I hope they do it and don't be afraid of what the outcome, because honestly, at the end of the day, they're not even going to be here. So who cares? <laughs> like, you shut your like mouth. They, okay. Not the wolves. Hey, not, come on. No, sorry, not the wolves. The, the <laughs> oh, band, oh, I thought like you were saying the wolves. Right? Okay, if that okay. happens, they're gone. <laughs> I was like, whoa, Connor. Whoa. Gerson's in Charlotte by that time. The world's not ending. <laughs> once once that happens, Gerson's in Charlotte by, at that time. I think one other thing, the wolves, wolves fans in particular are a little bit hesitant to make the big trade because of the KG trade, I think, too, is kind of still sits heavy on our hearts um, just because we got absolutely nothing back. Big Al Jefferson, bless his Respect. heart, just wasn't that good. you know. And we just got nothing out of that, and it just hurts. So I think that is, for the Wolves specifically, is a reason that like people would be hesitant yep. to make the big move. Okay. Moving on. Pacers. Would you want Miles Turner? 
or could we could we pry away Sabonis plus Levert for a pretty spicy package? How would we pry think, them away? I would love that, but that's a that's a lot to give up. Could we go? I think Levert has the potential to be a starting point guard in the NBA. So would we go D'Lo, Culver, a first, for Sabonis, Levert, and a second? I think you're going to have to throw Beasley into that deal. You think Beasley has to go? I think they need they need to get something more than D'Lo as a starting caliber player to give up two of their starters. But, I mean, I, I think I'd still first. do it. That's fair. That's fair. That's just an interesting one to me. It's like, could we find a way? Now they have Carlisle come in, and so I think it might be less realistic that the Pacers are going to be looking to make significant moves this offseason. I was just going through guys that I'd want. Um, so are you a believer, going back to Turner, are you a believer that Cat could be a legitimate power forward in this league? Absolutely. Yeah. I think he could. I, I mean, personally, I'd like to see him and Nas on the court more often together. I think I like the way that those two pair together. Uh, I think Cat has the athleticism to guard a lot of fours, bigger fours, smaller fours. Sometimes it would be a little trickier, but I still think he's quick enough. Um, and Nas is actually shown to be a really good rim protector, even though he's not like an athletic freak. So, uh, yeah, I would like to see those two on the floor together. If it was Miles Turner, obviously you want to see Cat and him on the floor together. I think I think he could find a way to make it work. Although I know he's said he doesn't want to, but when push comes to shove, sometimes it's like, all right, man, do you want to keep me in center? Or do you want to win basketball games? Do you want to go to the playoffs? Do you want to be like Devin Booker? Do you want to be like your buddy who's going to the finals? You know, because once he starts to see that, maybe he starts to change like a little bit of like, I was setting my ways on what I want to do, but actually my priorities is that I want to win. So I'll do what it takes. Who knows? Uh, final, just a couple guys that I'd like Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he's pretty sweet. Uh, I think we had an opportunity to draft him when he came out of college. I would have loved to have get gotten him. Uh, and then Will Barton is another guy. Will the thrill. Like. Yeah. Those are my last, uh, guys I want on the wolves, wolves trade talk. Um, and then I don't know, there's that guy, Ben Simmons out there out East. I don't know how you guys feel about him at all, but he'd be an interesting, interesting guy. Maybe never heard of her. I have one just question, and it's more from the Wolf side. How much value does Malik Beasley bring to a trade? I feel like he had a pretty good season when playing this year. Is he a valuable piece where we move and he brings us a decent return, or is he better served keeping him on the roster? It looks like he his contract is relative is like what got a thirty good over two years. Yeah. Is that is that a team friendly deal? Would you say? Yeah. For the for value that, yeah, in terms of value, I'd say it is. And so it looks like it's 30 mil over two years plus a team option worth 16 and a half million. So do you think he's worth more as a trade piece or on our team? I think on our team. I think he fits that perfect role that a lot of championship teams have of just that dead eye guy who like can, when push comes to shove, in the playoffs, in a tough game, can you have a guy on your team who can get a bucket? And he's that guy. Like, he's just a guy who can get a bucket when you need him to. So I think he is that, like, prototypical guy on your team, on, a like, a playoff team that can create. So And his deal is sweet right now, if he's playing. 
And he seems like a guy who genuinely, this is a football thing, but loves basketball. Like he just, it seems like he really does uh, love the game. So I think he's a guy I would like to see stay on the team. Yeah, excited to see him get back on the court when he gets out of jail. Spicy. <laughs> I heard the game. I heard we were going to bring that up. I heard the games in at uh, lunch are very competitive. Yeah, very competitive. So a, he might come out with a little bit of a, a grittiness to him that Lou, in particular, might love. What do you think Malik Beasley's averaging in prison or jail, whatever the uh, Hennepin County <laughs> pickup game? Do you think he's going for like eighty-five a game? I would be shocked if he ever moved the ball. Like I, I gotta think that he's probably, you know, I, I we gotta. I would say what this is. This is a higher level than a lifetime or a YMCA, right? Like, like prison ball. I mean, you gotta think there's there's some ballers in there. It's a more physical game. Yeah, for sure. a more physical game. I'm thinking longest yard. So on a roll. Um, that's kind of the what I'm thinking. Yeah, the movie longest yard. Probably the exact replica of what it looks like to play <laughs> in in prison. Yeah, I, I you're just playing Michael Irvin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quarter pounder with cheese. What a perfect transition. Talking about breaking the rules. Let's talk a little MLB sticky substance rules. So obviously MLB has come down in the last week with a new ban on foreign substances, not allowing pitchers to sneak any kind of sticky substance into the game to Dr. Baseballs and boost their spin rate it's been on everywhere it's like it's not been an espn sports media thing it's like it's on cbs news is talking about it. the world news is talking about it it's everywhere so if you haven't heard just go on any news site and it will be there but how do you guys feel about these new rules they're checking pitchers a couple times during games between innings we've seen max scherzer sergio romo some antics between innings but if a player gets caught they're suspended 10 days they get paid but the team cannot replace them on the roster. So the team's shorthanded for 10 days. So you're really screwing your team over if you're caught using sticky stuff. I mean, it's the big thing that sticks out to me is like, it's kind of shocking how many guys are allegedly using this based on the data or they were using something. And, and now like, the spin rate has just dropped off and it's all like a bunch of these top guys are coming out like Tyler Glasnow, Garrett Cole was a big proponent of it. And it's like, it's just kind of like, it's crazy to me to think that these guys are all using something like think about the big, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's the, like the aura almost around the steroids that people were just like appalled that when you know a rod or all these guys are getting busted for steroids and now it's just kind of like everyone's cheating essentially in a way all these starting pitchers are just cheating even some of your favorite minnesota twins there you go allegedly I, you know one thing that i think is interesting about this um tyler glass now had a had an interesting video i don't know if you guys both saw that his video ba- did, yeah. basically stated that he thinks he was injured because they know they they banned um, sticky stuff during season, and I thought that was an interesting point. Like it's a it's a really I don't know what the right word to say is, but it's a really interesting move by the MLB to make this stance mid season. Like I kind of agree with Glass. Now I never use sticky stuff. I was never good enough to need it. So like it's not from a personal standpoint, but simply as a pitcher. One of the things that people stated too is control. Like some batters, I'm sure, prefer the sticky stuff because when a pitcher doesn't, um, 
Glass now talked about that when a pitcher doesn't have it, there's so much less control. So now you get a guy like, you know, Verlander in his prime when he was throwing 100 miles an hour. I would rather him be able to possess the ball so he doesn't dome somebody by accident. And maybe that's an extreme scenario. But I thought it was interesting for the pitchers. They just had to basically quit cold turkey. Like the entire league knew that most of the pitchers were using this stuff. They chose to ignore it. And then now partially the way through a season is when they're going to take their stance against it. It just seems like a really, a really soft move by the MLB to change right now. Like why not do this in the beginning of the season so guys can get comfortable without it? I mean, sure, this is probably defending cheating, but I think there is a safety aspect to it at times where pearls are like baseballs fresh out of the bag. Those are pretty pretty slimy pretty slippery there's no seams yeah there's no seams on the major league balls either yeah. essentially and so i mean i I'm, I'm sure it's like we're babying these guys a little bit too much like it's not it's probably not as extreme i've also appreciated i don't know if you saw trevor bowers video where he had the ball stuck in his palm and went Science, upside down yeah. and goes, Do you think them. is this sticky enough for you and basically like going at the mlb commissioner um, what he did too was he said that was technically sweat and rosin, which he which is legal, which is the funny thing. Really, I didn't hear that, but yeah, I just saw that. I just saw the video of him doing it. I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, I just think it was it's probably the wrong time. Like, let's do it at the beginning of the season. Let's do it in the off season. But you know, that's just my two cents. The other big takeaway that I had from it. Like I completely agreed with Glasnow's take and all that about why they're doing it like mid-season. But the other thought popped into my head, like you guys are professional pitchers. You made it here your whole life with probably without stuff. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they went through college and the minors using sticky stuff, but, and I know the balls change and they're different, but like, I it's, it was just kind of crazy that there's such an uproar about, everyone having to use this let's stuff. take away pine tar let's level the goddamn playing field right that was let's another take away pine tar I, I all these see. cheap batters are getting to use sticky stuff on their the batters bat. batting gloves should be banned things, yeah. this is a gentleman's game let's get some calluses it's a working man's game let's get some calluses on our fingers hey, nelson i want bats nelson flying Cruz to the stand today with nelson had no batting gloves hit a bomb today so maybe Science. you're on to something oh what's your take I think this is just a bad look for pitchers all around. First of all, it's obvious that over 10% of pitchers were cheating. Oh, and it's 50, a lot of the big at man. least. At least. You can you can go on it's it's, I mean yeah. MLB collects all this data. There's Statcast data, there's spin rates for every pitch thrown in every game all season. You can look at average spin rates for every pitcher every start. You draw a line where the ban was put in place. And all just, of a sudden, guys' spin rates are magically dropping. Hmm. Is it bad luck? I don't think so. Looking at you, Jose Barrios. Looking at you, Jay Happ. And then this Tyler Glasnow stuff. So, first of all, you're cheating. Second of all, then you're complaining that you can't cheat. And you're saying you're being wronged? You're saying that because you can't cheat... That this is unfair. I'm not buying it. And the whole talk about oh now we can't throw now we there's no control. We need the sticky stuff to control. Look at hit by pitch totals over the last three seasons. They're not going down. They've gone up every year. 
the sticky stuff's really helping. Yeah, it's helping them hit them when they want to hit them, Dalt. Not when they don't want to. Helping you spin the ball. It's not helping you control it. It's helping you get guys out. I think it's just a bad look for pitchers overall. I mean, yes, MLB maybe the the mid season thing that could have been handled better. Yeah, that's just moving the goalposts. That's the number one issue. Is you basically allow it and then you don't allow it. Like like you can't do that mid season. If this was any other issue where baseball has all these unwritten rules, if they changed anything else mid season, people would be pissed about it. But pitchers are kind of outcasts slightly, right? I think we can agree on that. Where they're kind of weird a lot of times. They do their own thing. They're they're delicate creatures. I just have an issue with moving the moving the goalposts. I, I don't really know anything about the control. Like I said, I've never used it, so I don't know. And I think you're probably right. If the numbers are indicating hit-by-pitch is going up, it's probably from assholes pimping home runs, all right? Let's bring back the good old days. Just kidding on that. But <laughs> but I think the problem is moving the goalposts midseason. Like, you, you, if you're going to disallow it, like, take the stance when you create the rule. That's my point. Don't let this go on forever and then change it when there's some uproar about it, somebody's going to publish all the pictures that use it. And now it's like, Oh yeah, good idea. Let's, let's change the rule 50 games into a season. To me, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and MLB knew who was using it. I mean, I mean, yeah. I know some people who work with MLB and MLB essentially said, yes, we could bust guys today, but we're still quote unquote collecting the data. And they told that to MLB teams. They said, you know, we're in a stage right now where we're collecting the data. You're not going to be punished. We're not punishing anyone yet. We're just collecting data. So then you're just condoning it. You're saying, well, if you use it, you're yeah. not going to get in trouble. So what do you expect? I mean, guys have learned, okay, this sticky stuff helps me spin the ball more. You spin the ball more, your pitches move more. It's harder to hit. Oh, okay. Well that helps me and I'm not going to get punished for it. It's, yep. it's very reasonable that pitchers are using it, but then yeah, to, to then all of a sudden crack down mid season, it's kind of a, just an F you of like, you're cheating. You can't, you know, you want to complain, yeah. you want to say I, w- I was cheating, then it's yeah. not a great look for the pitchers. They, so it's the MLB put their players in the t- their pitchers in a tough spot to be like, yeah, go ahead, voice your opinion. So everyone knows you cheated. And I think some of the pitchers are basically just like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm going to talk about it regardless, which I think is kind of a baller move. Like if you have something you believe in, like this is a weird, er- probably a weird area to take your stance on. But still, I mean, I the Tyler Glass, I don't know if I. I totally agree with him saying that's why he got injured. Um, But maybe there's something to that. It's hard for me to believe. He said like muscles hurt on his arm and and back that he's never felt before because he couldn't grip the ball well. So now he has to grip it harder. And so he stresses his forearm that caused his elbow to go. There might be some validity to that. Probably need somebody to look into it that actually knows what the heck they're talking about. But I was just, my point was more on the, you know, I don't, I don't understand, like you said, them almost encouraging it, just saying, like, you can use it and then cracking down on it. It, it doesn't make sense. It was interesting. It brought up um, kind of a, a story I remembered from back when I was playing town ball. One of the guys I played with made it to, like, I don't know, low single A or something in the minors and never really got anywhere. But um, he said, you know, if pitchers were getting checked for this stuff, then they would just have their fielders go put it like put pine tar on their glove or their catcher would put it on the side of a shin guard. So then they would touch like their gloves or the t- the sticky stuff they had right before, you know, when they're throwing the ball around, getting a little stick on the ball and giving it right back to the pitcher. So it's like, there's going to be, 
like some way this is going to prevail. Like they're going to find a way to do it. Like Trevor Bauer found the way with the sweat and Roz and he found the right, you know, mixture to make it stick to his hand. So, I mean, like guys are just going to figure it out. I think they're going to need to set up a TSA search station in the dugout. Yeah, like are everybody they going to search in, everybody every... out getting searched. Yeah. I will say I love the antics that like Max Scherzer and, and Sergio Romo are doing. I think it's so funny because you know that Eugene good you can just see the umpires are like, God, you know, we we have to do this. Like just let's get this over with. They're not happy about it. The pitchers are just losing their minds. And it's just funny to me. In in my two part two points. First point in regards to um Lou, the guy you played town ball with that made it to Loe. Um I got to think if someone relies that heavily on on substance that they're getting their infielders to do it is probably a good indication on why they didn't make it higher. Um, because that yeah. just probably means that right, you're not that good. Like if you're literally like, hey, they're searching me, my friend who plays third base, who probably would be pissed, right, if the other team was doing this, which I'm sure they all were doing it, right? So now the hitters are just like, we're sabotaging each other just to level the playing field instead of just not doing it. Like yeah. it's so, that's just so funny to me. It's like, you're getting elaborate in how you want to figure out this cheating system. So that's my first point. Second point. I don't even remember. So who cares now? Because I just was <laughs> such on a high. Oh yeah. Got too wound yeah. Up. Second point was, I love it. I think it's so funny. I know if I was a pitcher, um, God, was it Scherzer that got checked three times the other day? in the yeah, Phillies game. They like asked them to do it in the middle. Of I would have stripped down. Yeah. I would have taken the jersey off, taken the pants off and just been there standing there. That would be, I think that'd be such a hilarious move for a pitcher and just throw it at the other team dugout. Like, oh, you can look if you want. Go ahead, have at her. And then he's got skids in the back of his, of his, uh, <laughs> just kidding. But I, I, I just think I saw an interesting proposal on, on Twitter of all places, obviously. They said they sh- these should be treated like challenges. So you get like one. Ooh. And if you, if, you, if you catch somebody, you get another one. If not, you lose it. So now coaches have to be strategic on how they're checking. And I got to think, if, you check, if, if they have the option to check once, guys aren't going to use it, right? Like you don't want to get a three-game or a 10-game suspension and, and hurt your team that way, right? Like, that's what I would think. I think just having it there is enough. If, if they check every game, people aren't going to use it. But it would open up a Pandora's box, which would be awesome, of relievers. They've already used theirs, so now it's just the Wild West. Now you use you, whatever you want. And you could put it right across the letters on your jersey because it's like, we can't check. We already had our one. That's baseball, yeah. baby. Well, do you remember? Do you guys remember cool. Michael like Pineda when he was yeah, with the back Yankees? The he got busted, and then yeah. after he got busted, he came back, and then he had just a big smear of pine tar on his neck. And they're like, like that's "Dude, not, what are yeah. you doing?" They went out and busted him again. And he got suspended again. Pretty sure we watched like that, that together in college, by the way. We watched that live. Yeah, yeah, it' hilarious. He's just like, "Ah, screw it. I can't, I can't pitch without it." And, and like of all the places to put it too, like these guys are getting like extravagant, like inside of their glove or like behind their hat or something. And he just had it smeared on his neck. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah. hilarious. If you didn't see that, just look it up. Just Google Michael Pineda Pantar and, and you'll see it. It's, it's ridiculously obvious. <laughs> That's the one where you can visibly see the ump in Boston go. What is that? Pantar? You're out of here. 
especially on an ESPN game where you know that like there's going to be a national broadcast getting that angle, which will show exactly under your neck, like just an all-time dumb move. But anyway, if you're interested more in this topic, check out tellemsports.com. I just posted a blog on this talking about twins pitchers and looking at spin rates, seeing which twins pitchers have experienced a mysterious drop in their spin rates since MLB came out with these new substance bans. Tellemsports.com. Cheaters, they're everywhere, even in your living room. Oh, yeah. And lastly, little general twins talk. So the Twins had a nice win today after a rainout yesterday. They beat the Cleveland Indians behind Jay Happ. Seven and three in their last 10, seven and two in their last nine. The Twins, man, they just keep me believing. They keep me... Keeping that door open. They're keeping the door open. It's though. almost it's painful. It's like Chinese water torture. Like I, I know the next losing streak is coming. But right now, I, I think they've got a chance. I, they've got the doors a little open. If one thing to help bring you back down to earth, we are still locked in at 11 and a half games out of first place and still tied for last in the division. Right where we want them, baby. Last place in the division. So that can maybe help bring some resolution. For me, I would love to play the game, but I, I, I'm out on the season. There's just no way. There's no way we can put enough together. We are not that good of a pitching staff, in my opinion, to put enough games together to get there. It's a dagger. I'm already looking towards what's going to happen in the offseason. I mean, that might be the wrong approach. It's also a dagger. As long as the baseball season is, to be less than halfway through and you're already giving up, it stings. And I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are in the same spot that me, that this season's almost washed out. And now what do we do the rest of the summer? What is it? Nothing's on TV. Like, let's call a spade a spade. There's nothing else going on. This is boring. Some of you probably have jobs where you work a lot and enjoy your, no, just kidding. I do too. Um, but the thing is, is there's just nothing to do in the evenings. You want to twilight golf every night. That's great if you have a membership, but for some of us, we don't have a membership. Twilight golf every night. It's going to get expensive. Putt-putt? Sure, once in a while, but you can't last that long playing putt-putt. You can't do it multiple times a week. Heaven, how many putt-putts do you even know about? You know, there's just not that many options. Slow pitch once a night. I'm sure it's great. I just have not been committed to playing slow pitch. Um, What are some other things we can do in the summer? Honestly, it's just devastating that the season's gone the way it has, and I'm already thrown in the towel. Maybe that says more about me than the Twins, but I don't see us coming back and getting into the wild card picture at this point. If uh, if any of our listeners out there have any activities for Connor to do at, at in the evenings nowadays, feel free to tweet at us at uh, Tell Him Sports on Twitter. So yeah, and save your exercise BS for someone else. All right. <laughs> hey, you have a week. You could train for that hot dog eating contest. Oh, in before the fourth, that would be that's actually where I'd like this conversation to pivot. We always seem to pivot off the beaten path. And I think that's where I like this one to head. I want to say this the right way. I think people in the in the hot dog eating contest are underrated athletes. It's a bold claim. I'm sure some people aren't going to like it out there, but that's the way things are. Sometimes you're not going to like the truth, but it is the truth. 
it is insane how this works. Like I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Nathan's fan. Not the, not the hot dogs. The hot dogs are fine. The contest, man. Fourth of July borderline structure my day around it at times. I mean, it's that impactful to watch these guys just choke down dogs. It's incredible. And I'm not even like the biggest hot dog eating kind of guy. Like I'll, I'll eat a dog or two. Sure. Why not? But I'm not choking down any more than that. Like hot dogs are good. They're not great. So the fact that they can choke down this many in what? 10 minutes. Joey Chestnut. Michael Phelps. You know, that's kind of the company. LeBron James. A lot of that. Like that's. That's kind of the company. Right. You know, I'm surprised ESPN doesn't have more um, conversations about who's the greatest hot dog eating contest person of all time. I'm trying to think of the guy who used to be the champ before Joey Chestnut. You say it, I'm going to know. Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Yeah, I'm surprised they're not having more Jordan-LeBron debates with Kobayashi and, um, and Chestnut, to be honest. I think I love the head throwbacks. That's one of my things. I think it's hilarious when they're choking down dogs and then they throw their head back to help slide it down their gullet. Got to get it like that is just hilarious. Dunk them in water. I'd love to see somebody just get up there and enjoy it. Ask for some relish and mustard and just like, yeah, pull up a chair at the table. And and I bet the people would be disgusted. That's the great part about it. You pull up a chair and put down three dogs and enjoy yourself. And the person next to you who's choking back 80 of them is just like, you disgust me, man. You're a disgrace, disgrace to this game, which I think is great. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, I will say you got me here. You kind of swung me a little bit because I'm thinking about think of the physical pain that these guys have to go through when they're training or eating all this. That's got to be more than some of these other professional athletes. Just talking physical bodily pain. Just imagine eating. Say you imagine you ate five hot dogs or even 10 hot dogs. My stomach would explode, I feel like. And these guys are eating, I don't know, what's the record? 73, Joey Chestnut. 73 in 10 minutes. That's equivalent to about 16 pounds or as much as 42 billiard balls. 12,000 calories. Stats that matter. Stats that matter here. One other point I'd like to get to is the fact that... Oh, no, 75. It was not 73. It was 75. Let me get that on the record. Got to correct myself. That's three quarters of 100. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop. You tell me that a professional hot dog eater that's a legit one doesn't train harder than Miguel Sano, and I'll tell you who's a liar. It's <laughs> I guarantee they probably have a these, similar training regimen. I guarantee that these guys who are training for this hot dog eating contest work infinitely harder than Miguel Sano. I'm you, getting ready for their You've got to look this up. There's a video of Joey Chestnut doing like mouth and like throat exercises for training his for his hot dog it's it's hilarious yeah he does like all kinds of like mouth movements and like jaw massaging i mean i think that's a i think lockjaw could be equivalent to tommy john surgery <laughs> in that sport i think that's a fair career fair assessment because you're chewing yeah. for maybe a career minutes. ender potentially but also a season ender for sure there's one there's a super bowl in that you're all invited grab a plate and show up it's kind of like the super bowl that way anyways where most of America is stuffing their face while watching a bunch of big guys, you know, do their thing. Quickly, my favorite part of the Nathan's hot dog eating contest is the intros, the intro. elite yeah. intros, 
and the fun facts that they throw on each of the participants because they'll throw in their records from other contests. Yeah, other that's what I want to know. Where it's just random stuff. He's like, he ate 18 pounds of crab legs in 12 minutes yes. last year's New Jersey regional crab leg eating contest. And they're just yeah. all these random foods and they're just housing them. It's like 18 gallons of soup of clam chowder last <laughs> yes. year's main clam chowder <laughs> eating contest. They're just crazy. And it's everybody's just eating these absurd amounts of weird foods. Content idea. What are you guys doing on the fourth? Because we could host our own little webcam. I'm in. 100%. 100%. And I'm buying 75 just in case I get hot. I need a stack there ready to roll. <laughs> I can say I am busy, but Isaiah and I are going to do a wing eating contest at some point. Um, there is going to be needing to be some sort of judge there because of uh, bone. Isaiah eats part of the bone when he eats wings. You have to and be I like to, It just evens the playing field. I leave the cartilage out of it. And I, Isaiah, maybe he's just showing face, but he seems pretty confident he's going to beat me. Um, I don't know if he hasn't seen me in a while. Uh, take a peek, pal. <laughs> I don't think you're going to eat more than me. I I completely agree, Dalton. I think I love the whole event, but intros are the best. I mean, the, also the costumes, the gimmick. People come in with like, you know, dressed in red, white, and blue with an American flag tied around their neck, and then they eat 13 pounds of buffalo wings at at whatever contest. Or um, there's there's so many good ones. The wonton champion eating champion of the world. Like what a what a what a prize. You know what I love in a world that's so divided. There's one sport that's for everyone. Anybody can do it. Just choose what you're good at. Choose what you like and find an event. You know what I wish they did more of? At local fairs, like county fairs. You see that in the old movies where there's like a pie eating contest. Oh. I'd love to see that come back. That's great. Just I mean from a from a from an exercise standpoint and from a, a health standpoint, I'm sure there's some health professionals out there that would be cringing at this conversation because it's clearly horrible for you. But let's push the body to its limits in any way you want to. And that's what we're doing here on the 4th of July with Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, one of the true spectacles in American sports. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. That does it for Whoa. this week's mini market podcast follow us on twitter at tell sports follow each of us on twitter at dalton underscore tell at sweet lou 814 at the colonel 09 at zayer mon boom boom follow us all we'll see you next week check out our blog tell sports.com bada bang bada boom see you next week peace go wolves hey I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.